0: All right, everybody, good morning, 10.05. Um, man, I'm stoked to be with you guys. We don't have like a huge amount of time, and so there's two things that I really want to talk about. One is God's heart for the nations, like this is a literal heartbeat of his, this is what is pumping through his veins, this is the blood of the Bible, God's heart for the nations. And then... Um, Just that one single truth uh, that became so incredibly important for my life, for my wife's life. It completely changed our perspective. Changed our perspective so much so that we sold everything that we had. We moved to the country of Papua New Guinea. We served among a people group called the Malayali. And so we want to discuss, or I want to discuss those two things. And if you did not know, then I'm, yeah, I'm here to say that this book, this Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, has one single story. It begins, you can almost say it begins in Eden, and it ends in Eden. This story is a story of, man, God's heart, his rescue plan, his mission is what we have Coined it. It's not missions like he's haphazardly or sporadically doing things in all different places in different ways and forms. This is a singular mission. This singular mission ultimately began in Genesis chapter 11, but we understand the reason why it began is because when God created all things absolutely perfect, he created Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden in absolute perfection inevitably he was they would spread this garden and it would cover the entire world god said be fruitful and multiply fill up and fill out the world this garden would inevitably inevitably spread and eventually the garden would not only spread but his creation would adam and eve would have babies and their babies would have babies and They would do likewise. They would keep and cultivate this garden. But we understand in Genesis chapter 3, they were deceived. And after Genesis chapter 3, they lost the paradise, but they didn't lose their purpose, right? They were still ordered or given the command to be fruitful, multiply, and fill up and fill out the earth. Fill it up with image bearers and fill it out with this garden. But by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, what do we see? That man's heart and man's mind is absolutely, continually, utterly wicked. Not only that, but divine angels have left their authority. They've come to dwell among men. Not out of curiosity, but trying to destroy this seed that was promised to the woman in Genesis chapter 3. That there one day will come a man who will crush the head of the serpent. He will be able to remove his people's sins, and he will be able to create a right relationship between man and God once again. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we not only see that humanity's sinfulness is altogether present, but now there's an even greater problem. An even greater problem that God decides to absolutely de- destroy all things except Noah and the created order of the animals. Adam and or, uh, Noah and uh, um, animals were saved. And then right after Genesis chapter 9, Noah and his family come out. And what is the command that they're given? Just like Adam, be fruitful, be fruitful, multiply, fill up, and fill out the earth. But what do we see in Genesis chapter 11? Now Noah's, Noah's family is massive. They're multiplying, they're growing, they have one language. And are they? filling up and filling out the earth they're definitely filling up the land but they're not filling out and they decide instead of filling out the earth like we've been told what we're going to do is we're going to build a city we're going to build a city so that we wouldn't have to be scattered and then ultimately in building this city which is not a bad thing but they were being disobedient they didn't want to fill up the earth And so building a city, they decided to build a tower. No longer are they going to scatter. No longer are they going to fill up the earth, but they're going to stay in one place. And instead of lifting up Yahweh's name, they're going to lift up their own name. And so what did they do? They built this tower so that Yahweh, the one true God, would come down and marvel at them instead of them marveling at him. But what do we know of the story? God did come down with his counsel. And did he marvel at them? No, he confused their one language and he took this one people and he made many languages and he spread these people throughout the nations, completely disinheriting them. Having no accessibility to Yahweh, they wouldn't be able to know that he even existed. And that's where they remained and they continued in their disobedience. You guys. This is where the mission of God begins in Genesis chapter 11. He has a heart for the nations. He would then choose in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham for his own possession. He would bless Abraham so that the whole earth would be blessed through him. You guys, that is the story. That was the purpose of Israel in the land to be a light to the nations. That was the beauty of Jesus coming and dying in our place, not for the sake of grafting back in Israel their unrepentant people, but to be able to offer salvation to the nations that were scattered in Genesis chapter 11. You see, this is one of the biggest problems within the church, and I can't wait to tell you my story because it was my same problem. You guys, we miss this story. That this is the story of God, that he would be made known where he currently isn't. There are thousands of people groups that have little to no access about who God is. But there are a few thousand people groups that are completely unengaged. They will never hear the good news of Jesus Christ unless someone goes, learns their language, and for the very first time in their history ever shares the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. And so this is the problem, we miss the story. And you, you ask the question, how do we miss the story? And I think it starts out small. Does anybody know, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I was in the same position. I want you to understand this. Can anybody finish this verse? Be still and... Anybody else? Can anybody else finish it? Be still and... Yeah, Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. My name will be known throughout the world. Sometimes, you guys, we get the truth, but we miss the verse. And if we miss the verse and we miss enough of those verses, you guys, we miss the story. And if we miss the story then we not only miss out on getting to be a part of what God is doing, but I think we lose our focus and our purpose. You see, be still and know that I am God is the truth, but be still and know that I am God because I am going to be exalted among the nations. My name is gonna be known throughout the whole entire earth. That is the one story from Genesis to Revelation because at the very end in Revelation 7, 9, you have every nation Every people, every language, every tribe surrounding the throne of God represented as the once scattered people of Genesis chapter 11. And they are joyfully rejoicing before the throne of God because the mission is over. Man, this is our purpose as the church. But even hearing all those facts in the very beginning, my heart wasn't changed. You know what changed my heart? Man, I I grew up. In a Christian home, my dad was a pastor here in the state of California. and Man, I remember at an early age hearing the gospel over and over and over and over again. And at the age of nine, giving giving my life to the Lord. But slowly, I started making compromises in junior high and in high school. Those compromises turned into bigger issues. And then I remember being at camp Tuesday night. All alone, in the cabin, I'm on the bunk, no one's there, and it felt like for the very first time that my heart blossomed. Like a thousand seeds had blossomed in my heart, and I finally realized, if Jesus Christ really is who he says he is, then my life should look really different. Man, I lost a lot of friends that year, because I went home and I started to live like I talk. I started to live out what I believed about Jesus. And that brought me to his word. And I loved his word. I spent time studying his word. And then that just pushed me to share his word, man. And I I cut my road. What I was gonna do with my life, I was gonna be a pastor. I was gonna go and get my theology degree from California Baptist University. I would then go off to seminary in Kentucky and study under one of the greatest guys, Dr. Tom Schreiner. I would come back to California and I would plant churches. And then finally, one guy named Brian Zuniga, in college, came up to me and he was the first person to poke that bubble. And he said, are you sure? Are you sure this is what God wants you to do? David, can you name one verse other than Matthew 28 to show me God's heart for the nations? I knew those verses, but they just wouldn't come out. He said, David, do you know, be still, and can you finish that? I said, "Uh, be still and know that I'm God. He said, you've missed the verse, man. You've missed the verse. And as Brian kind of took me along and helped me realize, man, there is a task that remains. There are thousands of people groups, even today, that will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ unless someone goes, learns their language, and shares the gospel with them for the very first time. This is my story, but I I just couldn't do anything but that. You see, when we look at salvation, I could ask you, man, what have you received because of salvation? We'd be able to say amazing things. We've received hope. We've received peace, we've received redemption, we've received love, adoption. I mean, we could rattle off all the blessings in the world, and that's great, but we can't be a people hoarding all these blessings to ourselves. We look at Paul's testimony, and you know why we can identify with Paul in Acts chapter 9? is not only because his testimony was miraculous, Like, this guy was on the road to killing Christians. He was an absolute sinner, and then God just changed his life in an instance. I mean, that's essentially what has happened to us. We may not have been running around killing Christians, but, boy, we were enemies of the Lord. Having no peace and no hope, we were exiles, sojourners. We did not know the covenants of promise, according to Paul in the book of Ephesians, but God was rich in mercy and he opened our eyes just like Paul. But do you know what identifies us with Paul and his testimony? It's not just that we've experienced grace, but salvation does something to us. God's speaking to Ananias in Acts chapter four and he says, Ananias, I have set apart Paul to be useful for me. Man, that's what salvation does. Salvation makes us useful. Salvation is just not what we get, but salvation is what we have received so that we can be a benefit to those people that haven't heard his name yet. That's why my wife and my family, we sold what we had and we moved to the country of Papua New Guinea. When we got to Papua New Guinea in 2015, we learned the first language and the first culture, Melanesian talk pigeon, uh, and their culture as uh, the people of Papua New Guinea. That's the first language that we learned when we moved into Papua New Guinea. After that, we got a piece of paper, you guys, with GPS locations. That's all we had. The closest GPS location to a nearby airstrip with some numbers, and we said, we'll just, we'll just go there. My, uh, my coworker and I, we get dropped off in a nearby airstrip, and we hike days to this GPS location. We get to the GPS location, and we realize this people group is still here, They have a language that has never been spoken outside of their tribal context. They will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ unless someone learns their language and shares it with them for the very first time. You know, one of the saddest realities about the mission of God today is not that there is a need like thousands of people groups to hear the gospel. But there are literally literally people groups that we don't even know exist. Maliali was never part of the equation. Malayali didn't even have a name. Malayali didn't even exist to the outside world until we found them and put them on the map. And there is a dire need for men and women to not only die to themselves, but to die to this world. And dying to this world, they leave it all behind for the sake of making Jesus Christ known where he currently isn't. Cut some trees down, we milled them, we got wood. I mean, mean, that sounds so ridiculous, but it's true. We got wood, we built our houses, and then we started to live among the Malayali people. We learned their language and we learned their culture, what they say, and what they think they do when they're doing the things that they're doing. Why do they plant this way? Why do they walk on the left side and not the right side? of the trails. Why do they only set bananas on the right side and not the left side of the trail? It's all connected. After learning their language and culture, we created a literacy program for them to be able to finally read and write in their language. They're an oral culture, and that means they have never written anything down. They've never held a pencil. They've never seen paper. But the reason why we did literacy was because eventually when we translated the Word of God, we wanted them to see it for themselves. Not just hearing the missionaries and their talk, but actually seeing the very words of God himself. We learned their language, we did literacy, and we started our translation project. Our translation project was to take chapters of the Bible in a chronological order from Genesis to Revelation so that we would eventually, one day, be able to teach them in their language this one story from Genesis to Revelation. We'll run this first video so you guys could get an understanding, a view of what that first, those first two stages look like. You guys wanna know something crazy? So we talked about it. God makes people useful, right? We were once useless without hope in the world, but God gives us hope and he makes us useful. Does anybody know about Hooked on Phonics? Yeah? I mean, the older generation, right? We know Hooked on Phonics. Hooked on Phonics had a slogan. It said, Hooked on Phonics worked for me. And it was commercial after commercial, ad after ad, and it was like this promise. You guys, I have a severe, I have a severe, what? What What am I trying to say? I have a severe... I can't read. Let's just say that. I, I am like severely dyslexic. That's what I'm trying to say. Severely dyslexic. Dude, I tried Hooked on Phonics multiple times. You guys, it never worked for me. Hooked on Phonics did not work for me. Like I am the most... The most unlikely candidate, the most useless person when it comes to going to a people group and learning a brand new language and creating a literacy program. I couldn't even figure out the English alphabet, let alone create an alphabet for people that don't have one. Like, are you serious? But that is the joy. That is the power of salvation. It takes useless people without hope, gives them hope, and makes them useful. And the moment we began to translate the scriptures, we took 53 lessons. So just think about it, like 53 chapters from Genesis to Revelation, and we began to translate those portions of scripture so that we could teach the Malayali for the very first time. I remember when we began to teach the Malayali people this last year, one of the oldest men in the tribe, Pisu, he said, David, this whole time, these mountains have been covering us as a people group. And for the first time, I feel like I'm understanding that our ancestors taught us in the dark. They didn't know what was going on. They had no truth. And now for the very first time, you guys are starting to dig us out and we can see the light. Thank you so much for coming. We weren't even in like the first three lessons. But by the time we get to lesson three, which is the garden, men they are weeping, weeping, not because they see that Adam and Eve they sinned, but they see themselves in Adam and Eve and that they have sinned. And then all of a sudden when we say, hey, Yomatifu Mofi le Miawa, Miawatef le Yomatifu Mofi La Pue with Satan mo love they heard listen there's coming a one he's the Yomati Mofi. he's the one who's going to cut a road and when he cuts this road he's gonna crush the head of Satan he's going to remove his people's sins and he's going to put them back into a right relationship with God oh you guys they were so stoked they were ready to meet this guy they were like is he coming soon is he here on this ground is he still here can we we meet him and we're like, no, 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 you just got to wait. And so we get to the story of Noah and we're like, they're like, yes, this is the guy. And then they realize by, you know, no, he's not. This is not the guy. And then we get to Abraham and they're like, this is the one. And we're like, no, I'm sorry. And then we get to Moses and they're like, yes, he's the one. And we're like, we'll just wait. And then they see and they're like, no, he's not the one. And then we get to David and we get to the king's but specifically David. And they said, this is the one. David, this is the one. This is why your parents named you the way they did. This is the Mofi. This is the one who's going to come, who's going to crush the head of Satan. He's going to remove our sins and he's going to bring us back to the Lord. Like, this is the one. And then they saw, man, it's not. Not, not even David, but none of those kings could ever amount to the Mofi, the road-cutting man who would come. But when they saw Matthew chapter 1, the king is coming. When they saw Matthew chapter two, the great liberator, the one better than Moses is coming. When they saw Matthew chapter three, that Jesus Christ himself is the now savior. He came out of the water and the dove descended. Like before in the story of Noah, when the dove came back, he was saying the floodwaters are receding. It's going down. You guys are gonna be saved. And now this dove is coming down and going to rest on Jesus coming out of the water. And what is it telling us? Here's your Savior. And the floodwaters aren't receding. But the time of Satan, sin, and death have finally met their match. And they're going to come to an end. And then they see in Matthew chapter 4, the Yomati Mofi, Jesus Christ, the road-cutting man. He is now the perfect man. He is the one that did everything that Israel couldn't do in 40 years. He did in 40 days. He obeyed his father perfectly. And no matter how much time Adam and Eve spent in the garden, they still did not obey the Lord, but Jesus did. He obeyed every single word from his father perfectly. When they saw Jesus, they were blown away. They said, there's no other man like him. And then they saw him hanging on the cross. And they said, we're undone. We're undone. Truly, there is no other man like him. No other man that would step in the place and take our punishment, take our sin and our death. There's no other man like him. This fruit is too sweet. And when they saw Jesus on that third day resurrected, They were completely undone. They were without words. They said, Jesus, we are now his and he is now ours. He truly is the perfect one. He truly is the one who has come to crush Satan. He is the one who can remove man's sin. He's the one who can bring us in back into a right relationship with God. And if we bow our knee and swear our allegiance to him, he becomes our king. This is too good. He loved us that much to die in our place? No way. And then we brought them through a a few stories in Acts, and we shared our own testimony, personal testimonies, and we got to the very end of Revelation. And we taught them, man, what is this end going to look like? It's all peoples, scattered peoples, nations, languages, peoples, tribes, surrounding the throne of God and worshiping. Him forever and ever and ever. The lamb who is slain to receive worthy, to receive honor and glory and dominion, because he is above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He is the king of the universe, sustainer of all things. His kingdom is unstoppable. His rule is everlasting. And you guys, he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back to rescue those who were scattered in Genesis chapter 11. It is a privilege to not only go and to declare the gospel to those who haven't heard, but it is an absolute privilege to be poured out as a sacrifice on the altar of people who have never heard but will because you were willing enough to go. You have been made useful. And we are so grateful that the Malayali people heard and they believed. This is just a small video of what that season looked like. We are a privileged people to not only experience salvation, but to be made useful. And a lot of you could be thinking, man, dude, I'm still in high school, David. What the heck am I supposed to do? And I think the disciples, when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few, when he saw this massive crowd of, I'm pretty sure it was Samaritans, they, they were coming to Jesus and he looked at his disciples and he said, look, man, look at all these people. What the heck are we going to do? And his disciples were probably thinking, oh, no, there's so many people. What, what are we going to do? You know what Jesus said? He said, pray. And you may be thinking, oh, that's kind of small. So Jesus said, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly that the Lord would send out laborers into his harvest field. And do you know what he did? He sent his disciples. Man, don't shortchange the time you have in high school or in college or as a youth minister or as a counselor. The things that we do now here locally in California will echo for all of eternity. If we have been made useful and we see this story, we have been given a purpose to declare God's name where he currently isn't. Known Because one day, one day, all those peoples will surround his throne and worship him. You will either be thankful that you made it to heaven or you will be grateful that you got to be a part of it. Pray, pray for the nations that he would bring them in. Guys, thank you so much uh, for coming. We're going to be here for a uh, a few years. We have some medical stuff going on. Um, counselors, I'm so sorry, I don't have enough. But counselors or whatever, you guys can grab a um, newsletter, or not a newsletter. Come on, what is that? Somebody help me. Prayer card. There you go. Thank you. You can grab a prayer card. Students, you could take a photo of it. Like I said, I don't have enough. We'd love to be a resource to you guys while we're here in the state of California. But man, can I pray and then we'll get out of here? Father, we just thank you that you are a God who doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves but you have adopted us into, his fam- into your family. You've seated us at your table, we eat, we eat your food, we wear your son's clothes, and you have given us a mission to be a part of. It's not our story, it's your story. But Father, you allow us to be involved. You will do it with or without us. And so thank you for making this so clear that we can be a part of what you're doing right now among the nations. Thank you so much for the Malayali people that when they heard, they believed. Thank you so much for the Mueller's and the Earl's that are there right now while we're here stateside. Give them just the endurance to continue to help this brand new church grow. And as they finish out their Bible translation, Father, give them just the joy and privilege it is uh, to serve you in that way. I pray for all of us that we would pray for the nations, for the peoples, for the languages, for the tribes that have still not yet heard. But Father, you'll hear our prayers And you will do the things that you are doing, that you have always done. Completing your mission so that one day we can surround your throne and worship you for all time. Thank you, God, for these students. Bless the rest of their week. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.